Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Welcome to church, everybody. Hey, would you high five three people on your way finding your seat? Hey, man, you're here. Congratulations. I'm here, too. We get to do this thing together. Hey, um, if you have no idea who this Yahoo on the stage is, my name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor. I haven't been here in like three months because I've been off doing the rest and sabbatical things. So if we haven't met, hello. Um, I'd love to meet you for real out in the hall after the message. But I'm super pumped to dive into God's word today. Um, you know, it was, a, it was an awesome three months. I can't even describe to you. There was a lot of downtime, a lot of time with God, a lot of stuff. He was just pouring into my soul. And I think it's going to take a few months for me to even unpack that and share a lot of that with you. But it's, man, it's gold. It's good. So thank you so much. I want to thank the staff. I want to thank the elders. I want to thank uh, all the preachers like Brandon and Erica and Pastor Justin and everybody else who contributed. You were here on Sundays. You were doing stuff. You had my back. So I just want to give you a round of applause. Way to go. Miss Elena, the whole crew, everybody, you guys were so doggone awesome. So one of the things I was asking the Lord for during this sabbatical season was I said, Lord, I need a new OS. I need a new operating system from which I'm doing ministry. See, the, the, the OS I had, man, it just, it was killing me. It was too much. I, I was giving out too much and not being protective enough of my own soul. And when I say OS, do, people, do everybody know what I mean by OS? OS is the thing on your computer. It's the little world all of your apps live in. Okay, so Android, that's an OS. iOS, if you have an iPhone, that's an OS. It's the rules all your software has to follow in order to help you do stuff. Well, I had like an outdated Vista OS in terms of how I was doing ministry, okay? How many know Vista sucks? Everybody know that? Yeah. So that's kind of where I was, all right? And I was like, Lord, I need a new OS for ministry. And God's so doggone awesome. I really believe that he downloaded a bunch of uh, new OS, new rules for my life. But what I want to tempt you with today is a new OS for you that isn't just about your work life or your ministry life, but about life in general. A new OS, We've, we're just in a time right now where there's a lot of conflict. You know, there's been worldwide pandemic, there's been division, and we're just in a time where, you know, sometimes it feels like the rules change and we don't always know what to do. Sometimes it feels like the world is barely tolerating Christians. And then they're mad when Christians don't show up to do this, that, or the other thing. And so it can just leave us a lot of questions. What do we do now? I want to submit to you that if we will together as a church upgrade our OS, I really believe we're going to see victory that we've never seen before. And here's how it starts. The center of this OS is Jesus Christ. The center of the OS is Jesus Christ. And we're going to start, instead of asking, hey, I wonder what's helpful. What do I want to do next? How do I avoid conflict? We're going to look at every situation and we're going to ask three questions. The first is, how do I recognize Jesus in this situation? The second question is, how do I receive from Jesus in this situation? Jesus wants to be God to me in this situation, wherever that is right now. He wants to show me something true about himself. And then how do I respond 
in obedience to Jesus in any situation. And you can be in any situation. So you might be going off to school for the first time this fall. And your, your three questions are all the same. Okay, how do I recognize Jesus? How do I respond to Jesus? And how do I, whatever the other R one is now, I'm forgetting, but I've got them written down. You know what they are. How do I receive from Jesus? If, you're, if you just got married, um, yeah, how do you recognize Jesus in your marriage now? How do you receive from him what he wants you to know about him? And then how do you respond to him in that situation? Maybe you're in a job you've been in too long. And you're like, oh Lord, man, I'm just... I'm so sick of being here. It's the same three questions. How do I recognize what Jesus is already doing around me? How do I receive his grace, who he is? How do I, re- how do I receive who he is right now in the situation I'm in? And then how do I respond obediently in that situation? I think we're gonna find that's a brand new beginning of an OS. We're gonna dive now into the gospel of John. And we're gonna spend some time. We're gonna go slow through this gospel. And I really believe as we do this, it's going to be a guidebook of sorts to us. Sometimes when you first become a Christian, you don't always know what to do. I didn't totally know what to do when I became a Christian. I had some mentors and folks that kind of gave me some direction, but I didn't really know what to do. So when my sabbatical started, Kenzie and I, we went out to Philadelphia. You may think it's a strange place to go, but I wanted to go because I have a very deep interest in American revolutionary history. So I wanted to go to all the places and see the places where liberty was born from a certain point of view. And here's the thing, there's kind of a different OS in Philadelphia than there is in Grace Lake, okay? In Grace Lake, you take a car everywhere you go. In Philadelphia, that's not how it works. A car is actually a hindrance, but we didn't know this. So we get, you know, we land and it's like nine in the morning and our bed and breakfast isn't going to receive us until 3 p.m. And so we've got this car and we realize quickly, there's nothing we can do with this car. We can't even get in anywhere we would try to go. There's no place to park. So you, you have to like park several miles away and then walk to where, wherever you're trying to go. It took us all day. We're trying to figure out how does it work here in Philadelphia? Now I'm going to tell on myself, and some of y'all are going to give me a lecture and you just need to stop right now, okay? But this is just true. The first question I ask when a plane lands and I'm anywhere is, all right, where do we find Rockstar? Where do we find Rockstar Energy Group? Where do I find my low-carb blue Rockstar? Because I'm addicted and I ain't ashamed of it, okay? And you can't take Rockstar on the plane. So wherever you're going, they better have Rockstar, okay? So that's my, my second question. Where's the B&B and where's the Rockstar? And, and we just don't know this place. Usually there's a Walmart around. There's no Walmart that we can find. So we roll up to this janky 7-Eleven. You know, we're buying these really expensive Rockstars, trying to load them up. We look like, you know... Just crazy people probably. And by about 4 p.m., we finally kind of figure it out. We go to this, this lady near the subway and she, she like gives us a solution. She's like, all right, y'all, you might want to take a seat. You, you clearly don't know what you're doing, okay? And so she, she explains to us, no, you got to take the subway and this is how this works and you can really walk anywhere and actually it gets really easy. And it was really easy once we understood it, but we needed a second to acclimate to the new OS of Philadelphia. We didn't understand how it goes. And sometimes we don't always understand how it goes in the Christian walk. And that's what the Apostle John a little bit is writing about. See, the Apostle John, he was one of the ones that was very close to Jesus. And he's an old man now. He's writing from the 90s. That's really late. He's an old dude. And he's writing the Gospel of John. And he's answering actually some different questions. He's seen Christianity grow up a little bit. 
He's seen the first Christians all grow up and die, and he's seen you know, lots of folks come and go. He's seen persecution be, begin. He saw the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and he's going to write this fourth gospel, the gospel of John. Now, just to give you a little bit of uh, background, there's four gospels in your Bible, about three-fourths of the way through, right? They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first three they're called the synoptic gospels. And they have a lot of the same information, a lot of the same stories. They're, they're a little bit, you know, written a little bit different. Sometimes there's a little extra detail in one than the other, but they're largely writing about the same events. And, and most of it has to do with, here's what God wants you to do. In light of Jesus Christ, here's how God wants you to live. But John's answering a different question. He says, you know what, Christians, I've, I've watched y'all for a long time. And now I want to give you some advice as an old man, as an old grandpa. I want you to understand the very beginning, the first place you start in the Christian life is not what does God want you to do? It's who is Jesus and what is Jesus? That's where the apostle John starts. And so he's going to give us the guidebook that some of us didn't have. Like Kenzie and I could have used a guidebook that first morning in Philadelphia. Apostle John's going to say, hey, I want you guys to be super clear. I want to get all the lessons in a row. I want you to understand the first question is who is Jesus and what is Jesus? And here's what we're going to find. It is so powerful. It's so good. Oh man, I, I just hope he can get it. The clearer that we see Jesus, the clearer we see everything else. The clearer we see Jesus, the more vivid Jesus becomes, the clearer everything else becomes. Sometimes, you know, one of the things that weirdly embarrasses me, sometimes my kids and I, it's hard enough to get them to watch a movie that is a little bit older, okay? So like something from the 80s or 90s. And so when it's really bad, I'm a little bit embarrassed. But when it's really low res, like back then we didn't know we were in low res, Okay. And so you'll watch some shows, like even if, if they haven't been updated on our, now on our, you know, like super crystal clear 4K TVs, if they haven't been updated in some way, it looks really bad. It's like, man, this is, y'all watch this? This is ridiculous. And yet if someone would just upgrade that show or that movie, it would become instantly crystal clear. Now the stuff that we're used to, the more we focus on Jesus, the more we learn about Jesus, the more we study about Jesus, suddenly everything begins to become more clear. And we see the hidden world around us that Jesus was always trying to talk to us about, to tell us about. The more we study, think about it this way. Did you ever notice the more you study something, the greater eyes you have to see things that you studied? Right, so if you've studied, you know, like botany, and you and I go on a walk together in the forest preserve, you're gonna be seeing things that I don't see. Because you're going to be seeing, oh, well, this is how that plant works, and this is how these guys are interrelating, and you're going to understand things about flowers, and it's going to go right over my head because I didn't study it. I didn't know what it was. When we were in Philly, we went into Independence Hall, the, the very place I wanted to visit the most. Now, when you look at this, many would look at that and say, yeah, that's fine, I guess. That's a fine, looks like an old time room. Yeah. Um, and you would be right, that's what it is. But when we were in there, my imagination was captivated and enraptured because I'm not just seeing those chairs. I'm seeing John Adams stand up and I'm seeing him lecture everybody for two hours and saying, it is a fool's dream to think that the king is just going to reconcile with us. We got to go to war. 
And I'm seeing General Washington walk into the room and sit down in full military regalia right before he's commissioned to lead the Continentals in war against Great Britain. I'm seeing all these things. I'm seeing the different delegates from the 13 colonies come in and on this infamous night when the thunder is crackling outside almost to amplify the decision, they decide we're going to break from the British Empire and we're going to go our own way and they declare independence. I'm watching all this unfold. Why? Because I've just studied it for my whole adult life. I just love it. In the same way, as we give ourselves to the study of Jesus in the book of John, my friends, you're going to see him everywhere. You see him everywhere now, maybe you're going to see him in more vivid living color and you're going to learn to recognize him more deeply. You're going to learn to receive from him more deeply and respond to him more appropriately. Here's why we have to do this, because y'all probably, most of you, if you're here, you believe Jesus is probably a good idea. That's, you know, for most of us, that's why you, you showed up here. I'm not concerned that you don't think he's a good idea. The problem is there's a lot of other offerings from the world around you that say instead, nah, just focus on this. The Jesus thing is fine, but here's what you should give your life to. Here's what you should be all about. Here's what you should spend a tremendous amount of time investing yourself in. And it might be vice, but it might just be something that is cool and fine and good, but it's not Jesus. And we got to get Jesus in the center of the OS because only when he's in the center of the OS do we find life to the full. Jesus warned us about this in John 10, 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. Those are all the other things that we could focus on. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Who would like some life to the full? Yeah, while wow, some of you, I'm like, wow, you're, you're depressing me already. You, you don't want life to the full. What do you want? So the title of this series is Clear Eyes, Full Hearts. Some of you know I ripped that off from Friday Night Lights. And if you haven't seen that show, I can half recommend it. It's kind of full of hell, so I don't want to re recommend that half. Uh, but the other half is, you know, pretty good. But Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. As we study Jesus, we're gonna get clearer and clearer eyes. We're gonna get fuller and fuller hearts. And we're gonna see that Jesus doesn't lose. So let me give you my bottom line. There is no one else like Jesus, but you have to experience him for yourself. There ain't nobody else like Jesus, but you have to experience him for yourself. Slap somebody in the shoulder and say, for yourself. For yourself, you have to experience him for yourself. Let me give you a, a little bit different way. Maybe this will be a little more sticky. Don't settle for secondhand Jesus. Don't settle for secondhand Jesus. And we're going to pull apart what that means. Let's go John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word. The word is the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that in a little bit. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's what we're going to find out. Regularly reviewing the gospel of John will, number one, refocus me on the absolute centrality of Jesus the absolute centrality. He is the 100% focal point of the OS. Do you notice there right in the first verse, in the beginning 
was the word. Verse two, he was with God in the beginning. So there's the beginning. Okay, here in the timeline, the beginning. But right before then was already God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He was with God in the beginning. Once the beginning started, what would happen before that? Well, he was with God in the beginning. They, he was already there. Jesus Christ, here's what we gotta know, is pre-existent. Jesus Christ was from before anything began. So he's not just a good dude. He's not just like a cool moral teacher. No, my friend, he, he breaks all the categories. He was before any of that happened. There's never a time when Jesus wasn't. And Jesus is in some way that we don't totally understand is how God made the world. He's the wisdom of God. God made the world by us. Do you want to see something cool? Sometimes in the Old Testament, the Old Testament writers, they were led, they were inspired by God. They would write things down that they didn't, they, they got for their time, the time that they were in, but they didn't totally get the fullness of what they were writing about. So the writer of Proverbs starts to write about wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord. The wisdom of the Lord is how God has done and does everything. But then Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians 1.30 and says, Jesus Christ is your wisdom from God. Now, what we're saying there is not that every time the Bible mentions wisdom, it really means Jesus. But in this case, Paul is pointing back in time and says, this writer didn't really know it, but he was writing about Jesus. And this is what that writer wrote. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight. Check this out, it's important for later. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Here's something that's really cool. It's, it's, a, it's a word that you could miss. The word was with God. Before he made humans, before he made the world, God already existed and he wasn't alone. He was already in the community of the Trinity. We're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit later, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they were already dope. They were already fine. They, they weren't lonely. They didn't need anything. It's not like we fulfilled some, you know, thing that was missing from them. They were in this perfect, loving circle of joy. And out of that, they created us and they created you. Isn't it cool to know that God isn't just like an architect? Like he didn't just make a world and, and like, you know, it's kind of sterile, looks like a doctor's office everywhere. No, God inherently, the triune God is a God that is defined by loving community. He is a God of love and you are birthed out of the heart of a God of love. That's why when you look around this planet and you see like, you see the awesomeness of the ocean, you see the gentle beauty of rainfall, you just see even just a wooded area. It doesn't come to mind like, wow, this is really sterile. What comes to mind is God is awesome and God loves me. Even though the world is marred, even though something has gone terribly wrong, even so, it remains clear, God is a God of love. He didn't just have a project. 
out of his heart of love, he created you and created space for you. And that God is the God that invites each one of us into his family, not just to be his subjects, not just to be his little ants in his, you know, sim video game, no, to be his family. So Jesus, here's the thing. When we focus on the fact that Jesus is God, and we're not going to take time to, to pull that apart right now. Jesus claims a lot in the book of John that he is God. So we're going we're gonna to look at that as we get to it. But as we focus on that, here's what that truth does. It humbles us. If we really focus on the grandeur and the bigness of God and, and the, how it was said in Proverbs 8, I don't know about you, but I've found that when I'm big and God is small, I'm super unhappy. Like when I make life about me and try to like do my thing and make it all so that, you know, Carter moves forward or whatever, and God is just calling, you know, he's just a voice is back there. I'm super like not satisfied. But when I allow myself to bend the knee and focus on God's hugeness and God's wonderfulness and God's compassionate heart of love that would send his son to die on the cross. When I begin to focus on his awesomeness, life gets a lot better. I get small and God gets big. And now it's like everything fits. Everything's in the appropriate place. So one of the things that we do with this reality that Jesus is God is we reflect on it and worship him in it. But there's one other thing that many of us are ready to do, that you should do, that it's time to do. We defend it. We guard it. See, the Trinity the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is a holy mystery that is revealed in scripture, but it has to be protected. The reason we have, I know sometimes we're like, oh, I don't want any dogma, doctrine or stuff. Actually, you need doctrine. Doctrine is how we protect that which is precious. It's how, we, it's how the church this far has protected mysteries that we can't totally understand, but they've taken centuries to clarify. And guess what? People were faithful to pass on the truth to you and me. And we need to be faithful to pass on the truth to those who come after. That's what we do with this reality. And then Jesus is the word of God. And the word was with God and the word was God. The word was with God and the word was God. By calling Jesus the word, here's what he's saying. This is about to get cool. You probably say it was already cool, Carter. <laughs> it's about to get cool for me. Okay, you got the Bible. This is the written word of God. It's precious. It's awesome. God says in the Psalms that he exalts his word even above his name. It is so important. It is the written worth of word of God. And yet there's, man, it's like there's one thing missing. There's one thing that would make this a little bit better. What if you had a living version of the word of God? What if all that God wanted to say, what if you popped it into a man? What if you made it human? And you said, this is how it's supposed to work. This is the living expression. So um, it's really important to me that my daughters know how a man should treat a woman. And it's really important to me that my son knows how a man should treat a woman. So I could write him a bunch of letters and be like, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is how you protect them. This is how you repent to them. This is, how, this is what you do. All right. This is what you don't do on a date. Okay. I could do all that. But what might even be better is if I just model what to do for a woman for 18 years in front of them. That might stick a little bit better. That's what Jesus does as the word of God. Jesus is the living word of God. And what he does is so dope because he illuminates 
the written word of God. These are supposed to go hand in hand. That's why every time you open the scriptures, you don't wanna just start reading. You wanna say, this written word of God is good, but I don't want to venture in without the living word of God. So living word of God, Jesus, would you open my understanding? Because I want these pages to be alive. I want to encounter the living Jesus, the living word of God within the written word of God. And anytime we don't do that, often we might feed pride. We might feed, well, I know a lot of facts about the Bible. And that's why you, you can even meet people that seem to know a lot about the Bible, but they've never met the living word, Jesus Christ, because they're approaching it largely academically. Jesus is everything that the father wants to say. Here's what's important for us to remember because this is where it hits us. You remember in Snow White, the wicked queen, she's always looking in the mirror and she's like, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest one of all? And she sees Snow White. She's hoping to see her. So she's like ridiculously disappointed. She's angry. And she's also in a way she's judged, but not like in a judgy way. The mirror is just answering truthfully. It's not you. That's what he's saying. You fall short of who the real one is. The real one is Snow White. You know, the Bible says that the Bible is a mirror. And when we hold it up, say, Bible, Bible in my hand, who's the fairest in the land? And the Bible doesn't show me me. The Bible shows me Jesus. And it will always be the answer. Jesus is the fairest. Jesus is the perfect. Jesus is the one. Jesus is everything. He is the treasure of heaven. And in a way, not in a judgy way, but just in a, and here's how you're not like Jesus. Here's ways that you don't act like Jesus. Now, it's such good news that it also promises, and by the way, you can't fulfill the law. You can't be perfectly like Jesus. And that's why this very mirror promise, and Jesus loves you so much that he went ahead and was perfect for you and then suffered the penalty for all the times that you weren't perfect. But what that means for us is you're only really being cut like that and challenged like that if you're encountering the living word of God within the written word of God. Now, old Queenie, she got mad at the mirror. Here's what we do. When we see a place that says, here's beautiful Jesus who loves you and here's how you're different than him, and he's expecting you to change that with his help. Here's what we do. We don't throw the mirror. We kneel before it. We say, yes, sir. I don't even understand it all. I don't even understand why that's true. I don't understand why you're asking me to do that or why not. But I know that the Lord is God and I am not. And so living word through the written word, I bend the knee to you. That's how we want to approach the scriptures. Say, Jesus, meet me inside. And that's why we need firsthand Jesus. Aren't you so glad that the scriptures tell you the truth and they don't lie to you? I've never had like the, the scripture like, I'll oh, make this more palatable for you, Carter, because you're such a sensitive little, I'm afraid you're going to not receive it very well. No, from day one, for 25 years, God has told me the truth. And he hasn't been mean about it, but he's just like, look, here's what the truth is. You know why he tells you the truth? Because he loves you. That's why he tells you. Think about it this way, because you, you know this if you think backwards. You've probably done things in your life or even encountered people in your life that if you could go back in time, you would say, hey, to yourself, you would say, um, because I love you, just keep walking. Don't even meet that person. Don't even pick up that porn magazine you found on the side of the road when you were eight years old. 
Don't even turn that station on. Don't even have a computer in your room. Don't even get involved with those kind of people. And it's not that you want those people to suffer or you want to be mean to them, but you're telling yourself the truth. That leads to bad in your life and pain. And that's why the scriptures say, I'm just telling you the truth. That leads to bad in your life and it leads to pain. So that's why the scriptures challenge us. Now, if we're not being challenged, it means we're not really encountering firsthand Jesus. So I'm gonna get on my soapbox for a minute. Hope you don't mind. Um, there's a lot of secondhand Jesus probably that you're encountering. And it's not bad necessarily. It's just an imposter for firsthand Jesus. Okay, let me give you examples. You might find just scriptures scrolling through your social media feed, put on by people that you don't know or do know. And it's like, oh, that's a cool verse. And for you, most of the time, that's secondhand Jesus. Meaning you can recognize that's true. That's great. Just like I thought about the Bible before I became a Christian. I was like, that's, I'm, yeah, that's, I, th I think that's an important book right there. But it wasn't until I got into a little Bible study and I opened up the text and the words of the page started to jump off at me and Jesus says, no, I'm talking to you. That's firsthand Jesus. And so there's nothing wrong with having secondhand Jesus in our life as long as we're not thinking that that's the same thing as firsthand Jesus. Firsthand Jesus requires me to go into the Bible. It requires me. You, no one can experience for you. It can't just be, well, you know, I heard some stuff on K-Love and that was pretty good, you know, and I even went to, you know, um, hear the preacher preach. And for a while, you'll hear firsthand Jesus through my voice. But after a while, check this out because it'll save some of you years of being bitter. After a while, you'll stop hearing firsthand Jesus through my voice as much because God says it's time to grow up. All right. It was fresh from Carter for a while, but you need to get in the word for yourself. Slap somebody again and say, for yourself. You need to get in the word for yourself. And here's another reason why, because there's also tricksters out there. There's people that are going to, dude, they're not encountering firsthand Jesus. So whatever they think is spiritual, they just put out there. Okay. So I was, um, I was reading this book over my sabbatical and, you know, it's about burnout and, and seemed to be written by a Christian. And I'm like, okay, this is really good, man. And, and then I get to the point in the message where she says, by the way, um, it's not really true that humans are born sinful. Like really we're born good. And sin is just kind of like the fault of society. And I like, I, I hit the brakes. Okay. I was like, what did you just say? I know you didn't just say that because first John one eight says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what I'm hearing from this sweet girl who should have checked with a pastor. She should have checked with a theology book. She should have checked something before she sent it to the publisher. And I can't believe this Christian publisher actually put this book out because it's, it's not that I don't like people. It's because I love them. I want them to know the truth, honey. That's the problem is sin. You are a sinful being and you need a savior to save you. And what that means is I'm guessing she was not encountering firsthand Jesus, because if she would have been in her Bible, he would have at some point said, um, that's just ridiculous. So drop that and don't write that in that book. Okay. But she wasn't there perhaps. And I'm not judging the girl. I'm just saying this is going to be a part of your life. So watch out for it. Okay. Let me give you another one. 
there's this, there's this weird thing in the culture. And I've, I've talked a little bit about it before. And, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, okay? But I'm just going to call it, this is my category. I'm going to call it Christian girl Instagram, okay? <laughs> Christian girl Instagram. Now, I'm not judging everybody on Instagram. I'm not even saying they're all doing the same thing. Um, but there is a version where there's this message of you can have it all, okay? And you know, God wants you to, wants everyone to think you're beautiful and perfect and you can have your whole life together. The problem is you have no idea what's really going on in that life. It just looks like here's an amazing influencer and all of her problems are solved. And she's like super into the power of self plus Jesus. I just gotta tell you, man, that is a detour and a lie. It is not what you need. Can I, let me just speak to my sisters, okay? I love you more than anybody who's posting that stuff on Instagram. I love you more and I'm gonna tell you the truth, okay? You are not a goddess. What? Do you need any more evidence that you're not a goddess? Do we really need to discuss this? Okay, um, goddesses, they don't do what you do, okay? They don't have all the self-doubts. They, you know, they don't have all the sin that you have. They don't have hormones that go seven ways in one day, okay? That's not really a goddess. Here's what you are. You're, way, you're in a way better position than a goddess. You are a loved and redeemed daughter of the most high God who is meant not to be worshiped by others, but to serve in love her great and awesome savior. That's what you're for, okay? So don't believe anything else. I'm not even saying sometimes people are intending that message, but it's what is inferred from that message of I'm just missing out and there's some more glamorous version. I must be doing something wrong in Jesus' eyes because I don't have all these things, all this paraphernalia. I'm not on the yacht. I'm not doing all these, you know, flying different places. That's just not what Christianity is. That's the wrong OS. And what it usually means to me is you're not encountering firsthand Jesus. You're only getting secondhand stuff because he would talk to you about that. That kind of stuff would come up. So I wanna give you one application. We're getting there. You want me to stop preaching right now or keep going? Okay. I'm gonna give you one application because some of you, I know you get discouraged when I say this, that you've gotta have time for yourself in the scripture because Carter, I tried. Oh my word, do I need another message on this? I'm so discouraged because I've tried to do that. Let me give you a shortcut that you're gonna need to be patient with which sounds weird. Most kingdom shortcuts require some patience. But I want to challenge you to keep on asking and keep on knocking because the door will be open. You just got to say, Jesus, would you make me good at studying the Bible according to my personality and according to who you are? You've given me the Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Surely you can find some way to teach even little old me to encounter firsthand Jesus in the pages of scripture somehow, some way. If you'll just pray that childlike prayer in faith and you'll pray it for a little while and you'll just go like, I don't even know. I'm just gonna read it and maybe then I'll read it. You know, I'm, I'm gonna start in the New Testament and I'm just gonna, I'll st hey, Carter's bringing us through John. I'll start in John and I'll just start reading John. If you'll just do that, he is your teacher. That's what he is. He will teach you how. Okay, we do need teachers in the body of Christ, but there's also a personal ministry of teaching that the Holy Spirit does for each one of us. So I'm just telling, baby, don't give up. This is your inheritance. The voice and the teaching of God is your inheritance. You are supposed to have a deposit of that on planet earth before it gets really good in heaven. All right, let's keep going. 
Number two, regularly reviewing the gospel of John will reprove me about the nature of the world. It will reprove me about the nature of the world. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Little warning from John, the entirety of your life, the entirety of your Christian life is going to be characterized by a battle to get you to conform back to the patterns and the ways of the world. That's why Romans 12, two exists. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It would only say that because there's this constant pull to say, no, just, just worship the cultural idols. Just go back with the flow. Just accept whatever because you don't want to be too religious. No, be conformed to God's personality by viewing and seeing clearly Jesus Christ. That's what he would have us to do. You all know that darkness is real. It's easy to see darkness is real in our day and age. Many of you, you came out of a really dark place when I met you. Different ones of you came out of suicidal thoughts or maybe even a suicide in the family. You came out of places where lust was devouring a marriage. You came out of places where families were so torn asunder. It's, are they ever going to be able to reconcile? It's such a dark place. You've come from this dark place maybe of gambling or some other kind of addiction was deeply embedded in your family. You come from maybe some other place where there's just a spirit of poverty that characterizes the life you've lived and the place you've come from. It gets really, really dark. And some of us are in darkness right now. What do we do? We go to God the Son in the pages of Scripture and we look for Firsthand Jesus. You'll notice the darkness didn't win. It's not gone. But firsthand Jesus says, here's the light. And we find that as we went looking for firsthand Jesus, he was already looking for us. He was holding out his arms. He said, come to me. I know it's dark. Come experience firsthand Jesus. Don't just look at the plaque on somebody's wall that has some random scripture verse. Come to firsthand Jesus. Jesus. Because here's the thing. When we come to firsthand Jesus, we're going to get clearer eyes. We're going to get a fuller heart. And baby, firsthand Jesus can't lose. Firsthand Jesus can't lose. Remember at the beginning, we talked about the Trinity. We talked about their circle of joy, their circle of love. You know what's so wonderful about them? Not only did they, the triune God, create you and I, but that wasn't enough for them. They said, we've got this circle of love and joy and community among us. What would it be like if we made a creature that wasn't God, but could come into the circle with us? What if those creatures could experience our love and our community and our joy. And we're going to see it later in John 15. Jesus said, he said to his disciples, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Can you hear that from Jesus today? As the father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves you. 
I wanna invite you to the Lord's table today. We're gonna take communion in just a moment. I'm gonna invite some ushers to come and just pass out some communion elements. You can just take them and hold on to them. We're gonna go through them in a second. But I want you to get this picture. See, communion is this picture of us kind of reenacting the Last Supper. And we're taking, you know, the juice and the bread representing the body and the blood of Jesus. But it's still dark here. Even though we take that, we know it's still dark here. We're, we're thinking of a time that won't be dark when we feast with at the wedding supper of the lamb and it won't be dark then, but it is dark now. But here's something wonderful. Psalm 23, five, David wrote this poem to the Lord. You're, you're, aware of, you're aware of it. He said, Lord, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table for me in the darkness. It's in the darkness that Jesus says, no, the darkness can't stop me. You can still feed on me now. You can feed on firsthand Jesus now. So as we take the bread and the cup today, I want you to understand we're reenacting something that is not just like a cool heavenly dinner. You're saying in my life, the way through the darkness, the way to get through it is to feed on firsthand Jesus, the living word of God. I've got to know him for myself. And that's how I make it through the dark. Let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, you are the living bread of life. You are what we need. And God, we're not always good at this, but we're asking for your grace today. Would you help us to look for and find firsthand Jesus more often? Would you help us to receive from you whoever you're wanting to be in the situation we're in right now? And would you help us to to understand, to know, to figure out, to hear, how do we respond obediently to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible-preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.